Last time Dr. J.B. Hickson was here, I was in the hospital in a COVID ward in the ICU, and then he ended up coming back again to help out because we were pulpit shy, and he came back and I was at home, as I recall, still recovering. Even after I got out of the hospital, I think I was about three months in, in recovery. Uh, not to worry, I've had COVID three times now, I'm immune. You know, and so thank the Lord for that. But I remember as I was in the hospital watching JB uh, with oxygen and wires and tubes, uh, I thought to myself, oh no, this is going to be ridiculous. He's going into this whole conspiracy stuff, you know, uh, Antichrist. And I, I started really paying attention. You know, and it, it was a little hard in those days to focus, admittedly. I, I even remember having my laptop and asking um, for, you know, the, the nurse to bring it to me so I could do some writing. I could not form a single sentence, literally. I, my mind was so messed up because of everything. And, uh, but I, I tuned in to Dr. Hicks and my buddy. And uh, I will tell you that he shook me. He shook everybody here. And he will probably shake you tonight. However, I want you to know this. Dr. Hickson does his homework. If he says something to you that seems radical and controversial and even theoretical, do know this. He has done his homework, and so pay attention. Dr. Hickson is my friend. He has been my friend for many years. He's my go-to guy. We talk on the phone all the time. I drive him crazy. Because if I have a Bible question or if I have come up with a new theory, I'm always bouncing it off of him. He always likes to say, Paul, I love the fact that you think outside the box. And um, it, it's provocative, I'm sure, for him. Uh, but he has been a blessing to me, and he'll be a blessing to you. So welcome, Dr. J.B. Hickson. Amen. So are we going to switch me over? Here, there we go. Praise God. So, speaking of conspiracies, right? Uh, no, I, I love Paul. I still remember the first time I met him. It was probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago now up in his office and uh, just uh, one of my closest friends. Every time the phone rings and I see Paul Van Noy uh, come up, I before I answer it, I hastily open my Bible to the book of Leviticus and then I say, hey, Paul, what can I do for you? Because inevitably, that's uh, the question that he has and I... Uh, I'll just make something up because he probably doesn't know any different. But uh, uh, so the I've got a lot to cover uh, tonight, and you know the last time I was here, uh, of course I was here twice in the fall of 2020 while uh, Pastor Paul was recovering from COVID. But I don't know if anybody remembers the second of those two times. The last time I was actually here was the day after the greatest election fraud in the history of this country. <laughs> November the 4th, the day after the election, and I remember coming in here, and like everybody else in the room that night, just sick, sick to my stomach and not sure what was going on. But uh, uh, anyway, a lot has happened uh, since then. And uh, so I've got a lot of material to cover tonight, and much of what I'm going to be covering is, is in my brand new book, just came out in March, the end of March, uh, called Spirit of the Antichrist, the Gathering Cloud of uh, Deception. So I'm going to re be referring to that a few different times as I cer make certain points and 
point out where you can get more information about that. But the book focuses basically on the growing deception that is already sweeping the world and how we can guard against it and the role that deception plays in Satan ushering in his one world religious, political, and economic system, which we know, according to Scripture, uh, is going to happen. And, uh, you know, it's tough to condense 300 pages, including uh, 38 pages of bibliographic citations, uh, as well as 14 hours. Last time I was here, we had just come out with a 14-hour video series, DVD series, which you can get streaming or DVD. But this book goes into much more de- detail than that. But it's, it's tough to condense that down into uh, one hour. But I'm going to do my best. And I do want to try to allow at least a few minutes at the end uh, for questions. And so if you have questions... Maybe jot them down, and hopefully we'll have time here at the end. Uh, And if not, uh, I'll be happy to stick around as long as needed at the resource table and love to to dialogue with you. As uh, as Paul said, I want to reiterate, I I certainly hope that uh, nobody just takes my word for anything that I say. I want you to do your own research and study the Word of God, run everything through the lens of Scripture. Uh, I often remind people, having uh, been in academics for many years, taught at the college and graduate levels, uh, I tell students all the time I'm very patient when it comes to to, to varying views on things. I'm happy to wait until we all get to heaven for you to agree with me, so feel free to take your time as you you research these things. But I want to talk tonight about Satan, uh, the Antichrist, and the grand conspiracy. And we'll just take these in order. I'm going to quickly go through the first two and lay the biblical foundation uh, for uh, what uh, it has been called and what Scripture refers to as the Luciferian uh, conspiracy. It's not used in those terms, but it certainly is described, as I'm going to show you in a moment. But let's take Satan uh, first. Of course, we know uh, from Isaiah 14, the allusion here to Satan, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Lucifer means day star or morning star, the brightest light in the night sky. And In the context here, Isaiah the prophet is talking about the king of Babylon, but clearly serves as an allusion uh, to Satan. In fact, uh, the Satan worshipers themselves for the last 6,000 years of human history, Satan's co-conspirators on earth trying to take over the world, have considered Lucifer Satan's name. And I'm going to give you some examples of that as we go through it. But in Isaiah, he goes on to say, You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit. On the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. And then notice, I will be like the Most High. These are the five I wills, and it indicates uh, Satan's attempt to usurp the throne of God and take over the created uh, realm. Um, This is ultimately what the battle is all about. The Luciferians want to be gods. Satan himself wants to be God, and the Luciferians want uh, to be gods. That's why Paul would later refer to Satan as the God of this age. And in Ephesians, we know that he is called the prince of the power of the air. Satan is the prince of demons. He's one of the uh, demons uh, that fell, one-third of the angels that fell, led by Lucifer himself. And he is now roaming the earth, seeking whom he may uh, devour. And uh, he loves death. Uh, we're going to talk tonight. I, I really had to you know, try to focus in on what I felt like uh, was something that's the biggest burden to me lately as I continue to study this stuff and speak uh, in different conferences. Uh, and so I'm going to be talking tonight uh, primarily when we get to the third point about transhumanism. Uh, but what I want you to understand is that Satan loves death. Proverbs says, 
all those who hate me love death. Jesus himself said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. Uh, Jesus said he comes to, Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And again, Peter put it this way, he's seeking whom he may devour. So Satan is a killer. And his co-conspirators on earth uh, are also killers. And we're going to talk about that and, and, and in their own words explain uh, what this depopulation agenda is really all about. But Paul reminds us that the battle here is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age and the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. But we must never forget, and I love reminding Satan of this, who wins in the end. Because God's Word plainly tells us that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And in Revelation, we read these very powerful and encouraging words. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there shall be no more death. And so Satan is fighting a losing battle. But in the meantime, it's a formidable foe. And in the Lord's timetable, until such time as God makes all things new and we see the end times program uh, put in motion, beginning with the rapture, followed by the unveiling of the Antichrist, who we're about to talk about, followed by the seven years of uh, tribulation, followed by the return of Christ, and then the, the thousand-year millennial phase of the kingdom on the old earth, followed by the recreation of earth and sinless perfection as the Bible comes full circle to the pre-fall Edenic state. Until that time, and only God knows the timetable, uh, we need to recognize we have a formidable foe. So the Antichrist is a key a figure, human being, that will come into play at the end game of this satanic conspiracy to take over the world. John uses the phrase Antichrist a couple of times and says, it is the last hour and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Notice the capital A there. So if we look at our end times chart, the Antichrist will begin his reign of terror after the rapture, sometime after the rapture, with the signing of the peace treaty as described in Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 27. And then we will see the final seven years of Daniel's 490-year plan that was prophesied uh, in the, the time of Daniel as, as Daniel was sort of coming out of that 70 years of captivity that the prophet Jeremiah predicted. He sort of looked at his calendar and said, you know, what comes next? I wonder what God's plan after this 70 years of captivity entails. He prayed in Daniel 9 and God revealed to Daniel the next 490 years of his plan for Israel. The first 483 of that have already been fulfilled to the day, by the way, uh, at, at the time of Christ, from the decree of Artaxerxes on March 15, 444 B.C., all the way up to the time of Christ. But the final seven years awaits future uh, fulfillment, and that's when the Antichrist will rise uh, to world prominence, take over the world, along with his uh, sidekick, the false prophet, and they will rule for seven years in uh, a reign of terror. But notice what John says. Uh, even though you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it's the last hour. In Scripture, the phrase last days and last hour refer to the present church age. It was true in the first century. It's still true today. We are living in the final age prior to the establishment of the kingdom. Yes, there are other things that have to happen, such as the 70th week of Daniel, that tribulation period. But the next age to come, if you will, is the kingdom age. Paul says it this way, the coming of the lawless one 
is according to the working of Satan. So in terms of Satan's co-conspirators, which he has, he's conspiring with demons and human agents to take over the world, the Antichrist is going to be a key figure. In fact, I believe, based on this passage and the allusions in Daniel chapter 8, that the Antichrist will actually be indwelt by Satan, the same way the, that Judas was indwelt by Satan. So that only two times in human history that Satan, the prince of demons himself, indwells an unbeliever, correlate to the two times of Christ's coming at his first advent and his second advent. Satan says, he's coming into my territory, he's coming into my backyard, this is my turf, I'm not going to delegate this, I'm not going to leave it to, to, to these demons, I'm going to take this one myself. He indwells uh, the Antichrist and he's ruling through the Antichrist. Uh, and then we see in Revelation, it's interesting... Uh, uh, how the Antichrist, remember he says, the lawless one is coming according to the working of Satan. And because he's working according to Satan, he too is going to love death. And then we see, sure enough, during that seven-year tribulation in Revelation chapter 6, talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the pale horse, uh, is death. And the power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, with hunger, with death by the beast's of the earth. Now, my colleagues Mark Hitchcock and Jeff Kinley, who I've had the privilege of sharing the stage with at conferences, just came out with a new book called Global Reset. And in it, they, they make an interesting observation that I couldn't agree with more, actually, based on this reference here to the beasts of the earth. They say the plagues in the end times are positioned right next to the wild beasts of the earth, as we see here in Revelation 6 8. And the majority of novel viruses that have emerged in the last 30 years and infected humans, guess where they've originated? From animals like bats, monkeys, pigs, and birds. And the zoonotic diseases are spilling over into humans at an alarming rate. And so the question, I think, is fair to ask, is this a faint foreshadowing of what lies ahead after the rapture during the tribulation age? Could be. I think it's an interesting observation. But we know that evil men and imposters are getting worse and worse. And if we go back to 1 John, again later in chapter 4, and this is the premise for my book, Spirit of the Antichrist, he says, this is Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now this was, of course, written toward the end of the first century. And nowhere does the biblical text indicate that the Spirit of the Antichrist ever fades away in the present age. In fact, a comparison of Scripture with Scripture leads to the unmistakable conclusion that the spirit of the Antichrist is getting more and more pervasive the closer we get to the end of the age. Satan has been trying hard since he got kicked out of heaven to take over the world and make it his own. And uh, he's had a lot of failed starts and false starts. Uh, of course, uh, the Luciferians have tried in many different ways through the centuries to usher in the one world system. Uh, but their timetable really doesn't matter. What matters is God's timetable, and God is not willing that any should perish, and so far, God has not allowed that uh, to happen. But we know biblically, if you believe the Bible is the Word of God, as I do, that it is going to happen. It is going to happen that there will be a satanically led one world system prior to the battle of Armageddon and the return of Christ to establish a one world system in perfect peace and righteousness and justice when the Prince of Peace and King of Kings and Lord of Lords reigns uh, himself on the throne. But knowing what God's Word says here, that the Spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world, I started thinking if the Spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world and the Bible tells us a great deal about the characteristics of the future capital A Antichrist, then shouldn't we see an uptick today in some of those activities that will characterize the Antichrist 
someday during the tribulation. And if so, if we do see that uptick, could that mean we're getting closer and closer? Now, of course, we believe in the doctrine of imminency of the rapture. Uh, I've taught on that many times. I have a chapter on it in my eschatology book. We have a DVD on the imminency of the rapture. So we're not setting dates here. We believe the rapture could happen at any moment. But nevertheless, Jesus does tell us to look at the signs of the times. And if we see things that indicate we're getting closer to an antichrist-like regime, then that logically tells us we're probably getting closer to the rapture. Uh, again, God's the ultimate arbiter of time, uh, but it's, it is uh, worth noting, and we're told in Scripture uh, to look up and be watchful. So Paul echoes this same thought about the spirit of the Antichrist already being at work in the world when he says in 2 Thessalonians 2, which we looked at a moment ago, that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So the Antichrist plays a key role in this grand conspiracy that I want to spend the remainder of our time together uh, talking about. Now, the, the key passage in Scripture, and there are many corollary passages that talk about Satan's attempt to take over the world. We just looked at some of them in Isaiah, and it would be worth going back and reading Isaiah in more detail if you have time, and, and Ezekiel 28 as well. But David in Psalm 2 really spells it out unmistakably. He says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Well, what do you call it when a group of people get together and plot something? It's called a conspiracy. Conspiracy is two or more people working together for nefarious means. And he, he goes further and says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed. In other words, these worldly leaders are working together to overthrow God, the creator of the universe. Notice Lord is in all caps there, a reference to Yahweh, the personal name for the one true creator God, and His anointed, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And what are they saying? What are these earthly rulers that are conspiring together to overthrow God saying? They're saying, let us break their bonds. Notice the capital T, the triune God. Let us break their bonds in pieces and what? Cast away their cords from us. See, Satan hates God's control over him. He has control issues. He wants to take over this world and be accountable to nobody. And, and they are, he is conspiring with human agents and demons to try to accomplish this. Now, of course, Satan is not omniscient. That poses a big problem because the guy across the scrimmage line from him is omniscient. <laughs> He's not omnipotent. Again, God is, uh, nor is he omnipresent, and God is. So Satan is fighting an uphill battle, not to mention the fact that God has revealed in his self-revelation of mankind the end of the story, and we know the battle's already lost. Satan knows that too, he just doesn't believe it. See, Satan knows the Bible better than most believers, but he doesn't believe it to be true, right? He's self-deceived, which is the worst kind of deception. But what you see on the screen here is the essence of the grand conspiracy. Satan conspiring with demons, one-third of the angels that followed him out of heaven, and human agents. Now, the de demonic aspect of that, I have a couple of chapters on that in the book, so I won't take the time to go into that now, but I think we pretty much understand there is a spiritual battle going on in the unseen realm. But what I want us to remember uh, for our purposes tonight is the human aspect uh, to this conspiracy. Conspiracies are as old as time itself and date all the way back to the original conspiracy between Lucifer and God in heaven when Lucifer was trying to overthrow God in the heavenlies. And in chapter 3 of, uh, of my new book, I, I talk about conspiracies and I want to encourage you to check out the section in that chapter called the Conspiracy Theory Conspiracy. 
and you'll find out where the phrase conspiracy theory actually originated from. But let us never forget that the Luciferian plot is no match for the Lord's plan. And if you go back to David's words in Psalm 2, we read that God sits in the heavens and laughs as these worldly leaders conspire together to break God's sovereign control over the earth. And notice, then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. David goes on to talk about how Christ is already essentially sitting on the throne. Now, he hasn't taken up uh, that reign yet, but from God's timeless perspective, it's as good as done. And so the question, knowing that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world, the question that I asked and that has now become volume one of this book, volume two comes out October, November of this year, uh, is, is the stage being set for the one world system? Do we in fact see an uptick in the types of characteristics that so plainly are described of the Antichrist? And if that spirit's already at work, which the Bible says it is, do we see those things happening? So I just point out several manifestations of the spirit of the Antichrist in the book. And by the way, I know we've got a lot of folks live streaming or perhaps watching the video later. Uh, if you're interested in the book, you can go to spiritoftheantichrist.org and we, we, have, we reprint the whole preface to the book right there on the website and give you the table of contents so you can kind of see where we're going and what some of the topics are uh, that we address. Uh, but I want us to focus on one particular aspect of this grand conspiracy that really cuts right to the heart of the satanic agenda. You know, we're living in a time of historic change. The world is changing faster and more radical, radically than at any other time in human history. In fact, so much so that major news outlets and key world figures have started suggesting we use the phrase BC, before COVID, and AC, after COVID, to reckon time. I'm not kidding. Maybe you've seen this. The New York Times, our, our new historical divide, B.C. and A.C., the world before corona and the world after. Or the U.K.'s financial time, B.C. and A.C. world before and after uh, COVID. You know, sometimes events happen so fast that their effects are upon us before we realize that they've happened at all. And when the changes are evil and nefarious and dangerous, the results of not paying attention to what's in plain sight can be disastrous. Yet for those who are paying attention, there are some pretty profound signals. Maybe that's why Michelle Bachman recently said, we are literally watching the twilight of Western civilization. So I believe, I agree with her. I believe we're standing on the precipice of the Luciferian endgame. Now again, you know, everything we read from the Luciferians' own literature, from their leaked documents, their, their own bold and blatant declarations, Everything about what they're telling us tells us we are knocking on the door of their endgame. But does that mean it's going to happen? Not necessarily, because the only timeline that matters is God's. And God has thwarted their plans in the past. You think of World War II with the United Nations. You think of World War I, the turn of the 20th century with the League of Nations. Uh, but nevertheless, it certainly behooves us to pay attention to their plans because they're telegraphing it in plain sight. Um, so... That's a biblical principle too, by the way. Proverbs tells us the prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Paul says, know this, perilous times are coming. Again, as we quoted earlier, things are getting worse and worse. So, I mean, that was written, by the way, Paul's last letter in 67 AD, not long before he was martyred. And already he was saying, just 30 some odd years into the church age, things are getting worse and worse. Imagine how much worse it is today. 
I don't know if you've noticed or not, but you know, depravity is a degenerative disease. You know, it doesn't get better on its own, right? And so things are definitely getting worse and worse. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Uh, they're going to turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In his first letter, he says they're going to be giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So this is an ongoing 2,000-year-old uh, conspiracy, at least as it relates to the church age and things ratcheting it up. See, when Satan received the mortal wound at Calvary, at that point, he just went berserk. I mean, he didn't know any more than the early church knew that we were looking at at least 2,000 years of a church age. They expected the return of Christ any moment. And so did the early church for several centuries. It wasn't until Augustine in his book, City of God, in the, what is that, fourth century, that we began to spiritualize the text and uh, you know, started thinking that the, ch the church has become the new Israel and the church is the kingdom. And then, of course, the Roman Catholic dominance during the medieval period and so forth. So, uh, but, you know, when Satan received that mortal wound, he thought, man, it's, I, I'm, my time is short. And so he's been writhing around, as Peter tells us, seeking to devour as many as he can, waiting for the right moment. So one of the biggest players in the Luciferian conspiracy is uh, Klaus Schwab. Now, most of you by now know the name Klaus Schwab, and uh, you're familiar with the World Economic Forum and their Build Back Better mantra. Uh, by the way, if you read their literature, uh, the Satanic, the Luciferian literature going way back centuries, one of their uh, mantras has always been order out of chaos. Remember, God is not the author of confusion. God is, everything is done decently and in order, but Satan is the author of confusion. And what they like to do is, is bring chaos so that they can rebuild it according to their Luciferian principles. And so that's what Build Back Better is all about. The World Economic Forum has been working for some time on what they call the Great Reset. This did not come about, by the way, with the uh, pre-planned uh, 22 years in the making COVID pandemic. Uh, by the way, in chapter 9 of my book, the biggest chapter in the book, I make the unequivocal case, uh, you know, total smoking gun evidence that COVID was planned 22 years in advance. And so 16, I think, smoking gun proofs of that. Uh, but, uh, uh, and it's not about the virus, by the way, which is very real. <laughs> People know that if they've had it. Uh, but it's not about the virus, it's about the vaccine. But uh, the question is this. Is this massive, comprehensive global agenda that they're now rolling out in conjunction with the UN and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundations and George Soros and many other uh, satanic organizations, is this the Luciferian endgame? Or as they like to call it publicly, the Great Reset. So, you know, Klaus Schwab in his book, uh, COVID-19, The Great Reset, which he hastily put together after they rolled out uh, COVID, he plainly says that the pandemic is a pretext for ushering in their long-planned agenda of a one-world economic, political, and religious system. Uh, Time magazine, at the height of the pandemic, actually on their cover article, shows the world being rebuilt according to a whole new plan. Uh, so Klaus Schwab, he is the man behind the World Economic Forum, of course, born in Ravensburg, Germany in 1938. It's uh, southern Germany, about 445 miles south of Berlin, but 100 miles north across the border from Davos, Switzerland. And uh, Klaus Schwab is the child of Adolf Hitler's Germany, 
which was a police state obviously built on fear and violence, brainwashing and control, propaganda and lies on eugenics, on dehumanization and disinfection of the less desirables, on a chilling and grandiose vision of a new world order that would last a thousand years. Uh, he is in his 80s now, which by the way, you know, explains some of the urgency because Klaus Schwab is at the tip of the spear of this, you know, push for the new world order, and he can taste it, and he just is doing everything he can to make sure that he gets to live it in his day, and uh, so he's, this is it, he believes it's going to happen by the year 2025, uh, it was going to be 2030, but due to the success of their pre-planned pandemic, they're now saying in their own writings that they've pushed the timetable up from 2030 and Agenda 2030 now to somewhere around 2025. But he's dedicated his life to reinventing Hitler's dystopian nightmare and trying to turn it into a reality, not just for Germany, but for the whole world. His own words confirm time and time again, as we shall see, his twisted, satanic, transhumanist vision, which will merge humans with machines in curious mixes of digital and analog life, which will infect our bodies with smart dust. Maybe you've heard him talk about that. It'll be a world in which the police can read our brains, and as we shall see... He and his Luciferian co-conspirators are using the COVID-19 crisis to bypass democratic accountability, override opposition, accelerate their agenda, and impose it on the rest of mankind in this great reset. Now, you may think that picture on the screen, if you've not heard much about Klaus Schwab or followed him, uh, is, uh, is sort of a caricature or maybe something intended to be uh, funny, but no, this is what he wears. He likes to appear in his galactic garb, especially when he makes special announcements and press conferences. Not surprisingly, he's connected to Jeffrey Epstein, uh, like most others that are part of the Luciferian elite. Uh, Schwab is the front man for the New World Order agenda, and while the Luciferian conspiracy is by no means monolithic, meaning it's not just something that some guy at the helm pushes a button and things happen, it is filled with chaos and confusion and competing agendas, and that's the reason they haven't been able to usher it in up until now. But clearly, the World Economic Forum is in the driver's seat. Uh, you might say Klaus Schwab is sitting at mission command, which is you know, appropriate because it kind of looks like he's wearing some type of space outfit or something. But... Uh, but anyway, his history on the internet has been sufficiently sanitized, which is because the Luciferians control the internet. Um, but his family uh, was active in the Nazi agenda in World War II. Other people that are connected to him, obviously Bill Gates is a big part of the uh, Luciferian agenda. Let's see if I can get that up here. Sorry. Uh, Bill Gates, we've got uh, Henry Kissinger, we've got uh, David Rockefeller. Al Gore, uh, the inventor of the internet, and um, uh, but the World Economic Forum is essentially the headquarters right now of ushering in this great reset. It's also the headquarters of responding to this pandemic, and so that's why Schwab says things like the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. All of the big pharma corporations, including the ones that have been producing COVID vaccinations, are key partners in the WF, uh, and, and they're listed on their sites as, as sponsors, on the World Economic Forum site. Uh, so Schwab says, at the time of writing, this is talking about his book, COVID-19 and the Great Narrative, uh, I mean the Great Reset, excuse me. Uh, he says, at the time of writing, the pandemic continues to worsen globally. Many of us are pondering when things will return to normal. Well, the short answer is never. Never. 
Nothing will ever return to the broken sense of normalcy that prevailed prior to the crisis. See, to the Luciferians, a national sovereignty, freedom, all of those things that we stand for here in America or used to stand for, that's broken. That's not, we don't want that. We want centralized control and a bunch of uh, people that sit down, shut up, and do what they're told. He goes on, some analysts are calling it a major bifurcation. Others are referring to a deep crisis of biblical proportions. But the essence remains the same. The world as we knew it in the early months of 2020 is no more dissolved in the context of the pandemic. And then he too, like some of the major news outlets, refers to these radical changes as a before coronavirus and after coronavirus. Uh, and again, uh, in his, another one of his books, which happened way before they rolled out the pandemic, and that's the Fourth Industrial Revolution, came out in 2013. He says the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which they often call 4IR, you'll see them abbreviated 4IR, will affect the very essence of our human existence. So what I'm trying to get you to see is this is not something that was a Johnny-come-lately. This has been their agenda, and by the way, it's been Satan's agenda, for millennia. But for the people that are the human counterparts in this conspiracy today, it's very much been something they've been talking about for decades. To achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. And of course, by now everybody knows of the eight predictions. You can still find this video on their website. It's a promotional video. Here's what they say the world will be like in 2030. Now again, they're optimistic that they're going to happen, this is going to happen sooner. Doesn't mean it's going to, because God's the ultimate arbiter of the timetable. But in their own words, the very first of the eight points of what life will be like in the year 2030 is you will own nothing and you will be happy about it. You know, I watched, uh, in, in my research for the book, I watched a seminar at the World Economic Forum website, tons of videos and, and white papers and articles and journal articles and things put out by these Luciferians. And this was one in which a World Economic Forum representative uh, was actually talking about this particular point, and she was literally mocking anybody that thought they needed to own things. She was saying, you know, I just don't understand why people think they need to own things. Why can't you just lease it? We'll take care of you. I mean, that's what she was saying. Uh, and they're promoting these elements of the Great Reset to our children. Uh, on Sesame Street, there was a, a, a whole episode where they were talking about the Great Reset. But the Great Reset is being advanced as a necessary response to an alleged global pandemic. And it's couched, couched in terms like the new normal the New Deal for Nature, or the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And Schwab sits at the center of this matrix like a spider on a giant web. His aim is to replace democracy with a global leadership of hand-picked and unelected individuals whose duty is not to serve the public, but to impose the rule of the Luciferian elite on that public with as little interference from the rest of us as possible. Now, one thing that a lot of people haven't been talking about, I've talked about it at several conferences the last couple of months, but that's his brand new book called The Great Narrative. just came out a couple of months ago, about the same time that Spirit of the Antichrist came out. Uh, it's called The Great Narrative. Listen to some of these quotes from this newest book that ought to chill you to the bone. They're getting more and more blatant in what they're telling us in your face that they're going to do. For example, the pandemic has occurred at a very particular juncture when our economies and societies seem ill-suited to many of the challenges that lie ahead. When the geopolitical and technological landscapes are being reshaped in a way that will make them unrecognizable in just a few years. I mean, think about what's changed in just the last two years, but you ain't seen nothing yet if they get their way. 
Solutions to the, the major challenges we face do exist and are within grasp, but they will require a great deal of innovation and dramatic changes in our economies and societies, as well as in institutions, laws, and rules that govern them. Institutions, you know, passe institutions like, you know, marriage, national sovereignty, those churches, those kind of institutions. Our life habits and models of consumption will also need to change dramatically. We will control what you buy, when you buy it, whether you can buy it, how much you eat. Uh, could cryptocurrencies advance environmental objectives and the policies that support them? Could they be used to accelerate the demise of the U.S. dollar? <laughs> They're trying to destroy America. They've been talking about this for you know, the last at least 100 years, since the early 20th century, that America uh, is standing in the way. Uh, of what they're trying to do. If you, if you want to watch an, uh, uh, an in interesting uh, video that might enlighten you about the history of this country, I spoke in Tulsa recently on whose fingerprints are on the founding of America. That video is still up at our website. You can, you can check that out. But uh, what they once thought the Luciferians would be a, a beachhead for the New World Order, that's why they called it the New World, they vastly underestimated the power of freedom and the power of the Bible and, and God-fearing Christians that wanted to, you know, establish a rule of law based on God's word. And so it quickly got out of control from their perspective. And, that, and then, then it's the one thing standing in the way of ushering in this one world system. They've got to bring down America. They've got to bring it down. And, and he admits it right here. Disruption is coming. It will be both good and bad and major. Good from our perspective, he's saying. Bad because it's going to hurt but it's going to be major. The fundamental issue of how our newfound ability to manipulate life will impact our humanness challenges our beliefs, morals, religions, and politics at their very core. And we are ill-prepared for it. He, he's, he's putting the cat on the roof here more than he even did in the Great Reset. And then he quotes here Edward Osborne Wilson uh, who died uh, just, uh, let's see, last year, not too long ago. Uh, he was an American biologist, a naturalist. Uh, I, I had never heard of him, perhaps some of you have, but he was known as the Ant Man because he was like the world expert in ants, of all things. But anyway, here Schwab quotes him favorably. He says, as the naturalist E.O. Wilson said, quote, we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technologies. And then Klaus Schwab says, indeed. Well, what's he saying there? Well, Paleolithic means primitive, you know, cave-like. It's, it's a term that secular Darwinians use to refer to, you know, some two and a half, three million years ago. In other words, our emotions are outdated. Our institutions, like marriage, church, national sovereignty, are medieval. And yet, he says, our technologies are godlike. There's nothing we can't do. In other words, we're like a 13-year-old getting behind the controls of a jumbo jet. And we need the Luciferian elite, the initiated, if you will, to show us how to fly it. He goes on, nothing is more effective than the power of narratives. Here he's basically saying, so we're going to have to lie to you because if we tell a good enough lie, it'll help you get on board. Developing stories that are both pertinent and convincing to others. This is the best way to motivate those with whom we interact socially politically and economically, to move the agenda forward. It's a new golden age. This new golden age would require major institutional innovations, among them a supranational institution to regulate finance at the global level. 
So much more. I've got several pages of quotes, but those are some of the salient ones. And so clearly there is a Luciferian conspiracy. It's not monolithic. There are a lot of competing agendas, but at the tip of the spear, they are headed in one direction, and that is to usher in a one-world system. A leading Luciferian uh, from the last century, Manly P. Hall, said, There are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. And uh, that quote is actually why in my first book on this subject, which was from 2012, uh, The Great Last Day's Deception, uh, which was kind of a, a primer compared to this more, much more detailed uh, expose now, uh, on the cover of it, I used a marionette with key centers around the globe, uh, indicating that there's something invisible really behind the scenes. Uh, Mark Twain said, how easy it is to make people believe a lie and how hard it is to undo that work again. Often paraphrased as, it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. Leonardo da Vinci said, there are three classes of people, those who see, those who see when they're shown, and those who do not see. Over the last 15 years, as I've written about, talked about, done interviews about the Luciferian conspiracy, this perfectly describes the reactions that I get. Some people absolutely refuse to accept it. In fact, it's interesting, you know, 15 years ago, I was talking, did DVDs on the uh, Dominion voting tabulation machines and the, the rigged elections and the fact that you can't trust your vote, it's a completely rigged system. And I've had so many people since 2020 come back, email me, text me and say, you know what, I, now I see it. And so if there's one good thing that came out of that, it's uh, that now more people understand uh, that uh, it's a rigged system. And until, by the way, uh, that they do away with the digital tabulations, it's going to be a rigged system. I'm sorry. Now, I tell people, ask me all the time, should I vote? I tell them the same thing. If you believe your vote counts, you absolutely should vote. You should do your civic duty. You should try to make a difference. But if you have reason to believe, based on your research, that it's a rigged game and your vote never counts, it's just dashes and dots on some server somewhere, that any 18-year-old whiz kid in Cleveland can be paid $10,000 and two keystrokes, change the outcome of the election like that. If you believe, as I do, that it's all a rigged game, then why make a fool of yourself? You don't get, you know, I mean, they have elections in Iran and North Korea. I mean, should we vote if we live there? I think people need to be awakened, and I think 2020 did a lot to awaken us to the fact that uh, uh, the democratic system is highly flawed. Carl Sagan said, we're no longer interested in finding out the truth uh, once the bamboozle had captured us. It's just too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. In other words, once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. Adolf Hitler said, the principle which is quite true in itself is that in the big lie, there is always a certain force of credibility. This is often paraphrased, the bigger the lie, the easier it is to be believed. But that's where it actually comes from, from Mein Kampf. Similarly, Vladimir Lutin said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. George Orwell, uh, Eric Arthur Blair, who wrote under the pen name George Orwell, said, it's an a in the age of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. So one of the first things that I discovered when I went down the rabbit hole is that history as we know it is not the truth. Almost everything I learned in the mainstream government-controlled schooling system that the Rockefellers and Carnegies took over in the early 20th century was a lie. I mean, uh, we've been deceived. It's very uh, plain enough. Uh, Leo Tolstoy said, history would be a wonderful thing if only it were true. 
Bonaparte said, what is history but a fable agreed upon? Or I love this quote by Churchill after World War II, history will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. (laughs) Another famous Twain quote, the very ink with which history is written is merely fluid prejudice. And again, back to George Orwell, who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. The rewriting history before our very eyes. Those who cannot remember the past, George Santayana said, are condemned to repeat it. So these human agents uh, are working hard, very hard, to bring about this one world system. Now you need to understand, when I say it's not monolithic, that's what I'm saying is that at the top of the, of the Luciferian conspiracy, there are you know, probably maybe six or eight families whose bloodlines run all the way back to Genesis 6 who are literally worshiping Satan. They talk to Satan every day the way that you and I talk to our Lord. They sacrifice children, drink blood. I know that sounds horrible, but I mean, look, we read about it in the Bible. And if it happened in the ancient Near East 2,000 years before Christ, do we think it got better? Of course it's still happening in dark smoke-filled rooms across this world. There is a Luciferian conspiracy. The Bible talks about it. And that conspiracy involves Luciferians. But at the top tier, these are ones you'd probably never see them. You'd never, they're never the face of the conspiracy. That happens at the second tier. And you got a lot of groups that uh, many of these are aware of the fact that they're part of a Luciferian agenda. But many are not. It's kind of a need-to-know basis. But there's easily hundreds of thousands of people involved here. Uh, in uh, secret societies, uh, things like the Illuminati, Skull and Bones, Freemasonry, uh, and also, you know, other groups like the IMF and the central banks and the Federal Reserve. I don't have to tell this group. I've been coming here long enough. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sure if you haven't heard it already, and most of you have, you've heard it from me at least a time or two, that the Federal Reserve is no more federal than Federal Express. It's a privately owned bank by six families. That's the reason every time you pull out a dollar bill or a $5 bill or a 20, it says Federal Reserve note. It's a debt instrument. It's not money. It's a debt instrument. And every time the Federal Reserve prints money, we pay interest as a country back to these private six families. That's why they get richer and richer. They love qualitative easing. QE3, QE4, how about QE affinity? The more, the more we print or the more they print, the, more, the richer they get. See, it's, it's a dead instrument. But these are all part of the agenda. Again, not everybody knows who the ultimate one giving the marching orders is, but they're involved in it. And then you've got the final level, uh, which is, has several different categories. Obviously, national governments. You've got the intelligence agencies, religion, world religions, uh, other uh, you know, trusts and, and uh, foundations and things like this. There are millions of people uh, involved in, in this Level And most of these probably have no idea that they're part of a Luciferian conspiracy. They are in it maybe for the money or for the sex or for some other deviant means, but they're doing their part to advance the agenda. And by the way, in my streaming eight-part video series, What in the World is Going On?, I talk a lot more about secret societies and a lot of the stuff related to the Luciferian diagram uh, there. But Satan's co-conspirators in his quest to rule the world are called Luciferians because they believe that Satan, going back to the garden, Lucifer, is the hero. They see Lucifer, they see the serpent as the protagonist and God as the antagonist. And, and, and they refer to him as their God and Lucifer. In fact, uh, Saul Alinsky, by the way, uh, 
dedicated his book. Now, who was Saul Alinsky? Some of you may know that name. Uh, he was President Barack Obama's mentor and hero, and, and, and Barack Obama credited him and his writings with helping launch his political uh, career. He did that openly many times, including when he announced his candidacy. Now, if you study the history of Obama, you know that that was a narrative. There's really a, another agenda uh, behind all of that. But anyway, that's the connection. And Alinsky, in the, forward, in the uh, inscription to his book, Rules for Radicals, said, lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical from all of our legends, mythology, and history. And then he adds, again, talking about how history is just contrived, who's to know where mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which, right? Because we make up history. But he says, let us, let us not forget the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. Dedicating his book to Lucifer. By the way, just before his death in 1972, he did an interview with Playboy magazine in which he said, I can't wait to get to hell because they're my kind of people. And that interview was 18 years before Donald Trump was on the cover of his good friend Hugh Hefner's magazine, Playboy. And uh, whenever I bring that up, people are always like, oh, that's mean and not fair. You know, he's a good man. Now, that was a long time ago. He loves Jesus. And okay, well, then I don't understand why during his campaign, he still has a framed copy of that magazine on his wall and took photo ops in front of it with Jer Jerry Falwell Jr., I mean, okay, I mean, maybe people make mistakes, but at what point as a believer, do you, if he is a believer, do you recognize that, you know what, I probably shouldn't be promoting Playboy magazine. But here's another example of how the Luciferians refer to their leader, Satan. So this is Walter Cronkite. Some of you older folks from my generation will remember him. I can remember watching him growing up. And uh, he's, he uh, is receiving an award here in this 26-second 20 second clip from the World Federalist Association, and it's called the Global Governance Award. They're thanking him for his help in moving forward the global governance agenda. And, and in this clip, let me set the stage for you, he's criticizing and almost mocking evangelical conservatives who think that only Christ can rightly preside over a one-world government. So listen to this, uh, to this clip. Their leader, Pat Robertson, has written in a book a few years ago that we should have a world government, but only when the Messiah arrives. <laughs> he wrote, and literally, any attempt to achieve world order before that time must be the work of the devil. Well, join me. I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan. Well, join me. I'm proud to sit here at the right hand of Satan. And then later in that same award ceremony, then First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton is piped in, and uh, she congratulates him with these words. We would like to bring you a message from the First Lady of the United States, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Good evening and congratulations, Walter, on receiving the World Federalist Association's Global Governance Award. For more than a generation in America, it wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us it was the news. It wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us it was the news. Now that, that's more than just a saying. In uh, chapter 6 of my book, I expose Operation Mockingbird, and many of you are aware of that uh, CIA operation. But uh, mainstream news on the right and the left is all controlled 
I mean, incredibly controlled. I give the, the facts, I quote from the church committee transcripts and things in the book, um, and it's still just as controlled today. In fact, David Rockefeller admitted it. He said, we are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings, here talking about the Trilateral Commission, uh, and he says, and, and have respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. Now watch this. It would have been impossible for us Luciferian globalists. It would have been possible for us to develop our plan for the world if we'd been subject to the bright lights of publicity during those years. They're all paid for. That's why Gary Allen wrote in None Dare Call a Conspiracy, we believe the picture painters of the mass media are artfully creating landscapes for us which deliberately hide the real picture. All right, real quick, I want to, because I said I would get into this uh, issue, I think it's the most uh, important issue that you need to be aware of today, and that is the fact that the Luciferians are playing God. Uh, if you go back to Genesis, uh, transhumanism is what the Luciferians call their driving passion to become God, and it has two basic principles, both of which come straight from uh, Satan's encounter with Adam and Eve. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Their first passion is immortality. That's what they're trying to accomplish. And then he goes on, you will be like God. They want to become gods. Uh, they're trying to destroy the image of God and man. And this is what we call transhumanism, the merging of man and machine. The English prefix trans comes from the Latin prefix, meaning across, beyond, through. It essentially allows you to change entirely the meaning of whatever comes after it by just putting trans in front of it. So you've got transgender, transracial. Uh, there was a British man recently that spent over 150,000 euros to become trans-Korean, right? Uh, we've got uh, Lena Bloom, 2021, the first transgender model to be on the cover of Sports uh, Illustrated. You know, we've got uh, Missouri's first homecoming queen was a transgender, was really a man. So transhumanism, when they're pushing, you know, this transgender agenda, which I call the gender surrender movement, and I remember talking with Pastor Paul one time and he mentioned, I assume you still feel just as strongly today, and I certainly do, I've mentioned that this many times, that the transgender, the, the gender surrender movement is the most demonic attack of our day because it cuts right to the heart of the Imago Dei, the image of God and man. They want to destroy the uniqueness of man. They want to eliminate gender and pave the way for singularity, which is what transhumanists call the merging of man and machine. They want to create artificial life or artificial intelligence. But, you know, if you can declare yourself to be any nationality, any gender, anything you want, just by adding the prefix trans, then I'd like to make a major announcement here this evening, and that is that I am trans-vaccinated. Um, <laughs> you know, sir, I'm sorry, you must be vaccinated to enter this establishment. No, no, that's okay. No, don't worry. I'm trans-vaccinated, right? <laughs> or how about this? How about this? Uh, speaking of the rigged election, in theory... In theory, someone who never won a presidential election could become the trans president of the United States. I mean, that, that's uh, just put trans in front of it, right? All kidding aside, transhumanism represents the most serious direct threat to God's divine design for humanity since time began. And this is yet another indication that time is short and we're nearing the end. In other words, how many more frontiers can they conquer, right? I mean, they're this close to creating life. And remember, all those who hate me love death. So uh, I'm going to just, I want to, I'm going to have to shorten this and just take a couple more minutes, and then I'll take questions for the final 10 minutes. But I want to encourage you, in the book, I have an entire section on the depopulation 
uh, agenda. Um, it's chapter 10, and I talk about at length about the Luciferian love for death and all the things they're doing to kill people. But let me just give you uh, a few uh, quotes here. For example, Paul Ehrlich, nobody in my view has the right to have 12 children or even three unless the second pregnancy is twins. Or Ted Turner, another Luciferian, said a total world population of 250 to 300 million people, which is a 95% decline, would be ideal. Uh, they're always out there talking about it. Bill Maher said, I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-assisted suicide. I'm for regular suicide. I'm for whatever gets the freeway moving. That's what I'm for. It's too crowded. The planet's too crowded. We need to promote death. And they do because they love death. From uh, my home state, Colorado, this is a, a CSU professor, Philip Cafaro, in a paper entitled Climate Ethics and Population Proce uh, Policy. Ending human population is almost certainly a, ne a necessary yet not sufficient, condition for preventing catastrophic global climate change. Or the Detroit News columnist Nolan Finland said, since the national attention is on birth control, here's my idea. If we want to fight poverty, reduce the violent crime, and bring, our own embarrassing, uh, bring down our own embarrassing dropout rate, we should swap contraceptives for fluoride in Michigan's drinking water. And, of course, I have a whole section about Margaret Sanger in the book uh, who said the most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Uh, Nancy Federoff, who was a key advisor to Hillary Clinton, said we need to continue to decrease the growth rate of the global population. A planet can't support many more people. Obama's primary science advisor, John P. Holdren, said a program of sterilizing women after their second or third child, despite the relatively greater difficulty of the operation than vasectomy, might be easier to implement than trying to sterilize men. The development of a long-term sterilizing capsule that could be implanted under the skin and removed when pregnancy is desired opens additional possibilities for coercive fertility control. The capsule could be implanted at puberty and might be removable with official permission for a limited number of births. On and on and on. So uh, that's why there was a secret meeting of billionaires in New York City back in 2000. And nine, left to right, you see on the screen there, Bill Gates, Ted Turner, Soros, Rockefeller, Michael Bloomberg, Oprah Winfrey, and Warren Buffett. The Wall Street Journal actually reported on this once the news of the actual meeting took place. Billionaires try to shrink the world's population. It was held at the home of the Rockefeller University president at the time, Sir Paul Nurse. Uh, and here's what their agenda was, to, quote, consider how their wealth could be used to slow the growth of the world's population. And maybe that's why Bill Gates, in the midst of this pandemic, during a TED Talk, said if we do a really good job with vaccines, we could lower the population growth by as much as 10 to 15%. What? And by the way, he never recanted that. It wasn't, he didn't misspeak. Right? And in chapter 9 of my book, you'll see the real agenda behind uh, vaccines. So with that, uh, I want to just leave you with a little bit of encouragement. So much more we could have talked about in terms of uh, transhumanism. Ray Kurzweil is at the tip of the spear of the transhumanist agenda. He's the one that says our desire is to create a post-human species. Someone asked him in an interview, does God exist? He said, well, I would say not yet, but we're working on it. You know? Elon Musk, another transhumanist, said soon we're going to be able to turn you into a blanking butterfly if we want to. That's what they're creating in the laboratory, right? Uh, here's uh, the Wall Street Journal talking about looking forward to the end of humanity. This is from June 20th, 2020. It's happening right before our very eyes. So um, here's the encouraging part. As I started out by saying, you know, God is the ultimate arbiter of the timetable. We know who wins in the end. Uh, but we also don't know how much longer the Lord is going to tarry his coming. Now, if the Lord were to come back tonight or tomorrow, praise God, we would 
love that, and we'd be with our loved ones that are in heaven, and we'd be enjoying, uh, you know, each other's company, waiting to come back with Christ and rule and reign on this earth uh, with the King of Kings on the throne. But the Lord may tarry His coming, and if He does tarry for much longer, we may have to face unspeakable persecution the way many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have for the last 2,000 years. So we need to heed the warning of Scripture to be sober and be vigilant. We need to remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Um, uh, We need to remember what Jesus said. uh, In the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So we need to be prepared, never scared, but prepared. So my question is, are you ready? I mean, are you counting on the government to help you in a crisis? By the way, if you are, I've got a verse for you. The 6th century prophet Jeremiah reminds us, our leaders are stupid, okay? So uh, if you're counting on the government to help you, I would think again. Uh, Proverbs puts it a little less bluntly, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Are you counting on other people to help you in a crisis? An anonymous psalmist said, do not put your trust in princes or other people who cannot save you. So where is your trust? Where is your trust? Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So a few of the other topics that I talk about in the book are the left-right paradigm, the fake news censorship, geoengineering, eugenics, and depopulation. I mentioned that. I mentioned vaccines and big pharma, the Hegelian dialectic. So I'd encourage you to check out uh, the book. And in the meantime, I'll open the floor for questions. We've got about five, maybe six minutes for some questions here. minutes and so raise your hand um reed you got this side okay i'm hello testing you got this side thanks testing testing hi steve (laughs) testing okay so you were saying that um you got schwab you got rockefeller you got soros you got a lot of old people and they're not going to be around much longer. Who's waiting in the wings to take their place should they um, pass away before? That's a they great question. Uh, you know, a lot of the Luciferians that we've mentioned are old uh, or have recently died. Rockefeller just recently died. Uh, there's a big new Brzezinski. I didn't get to his quotes, but he's a key leader. And uh, you can tell the real Luciferians because they work on both sides of the aisle. You know, he was with you know, back and forth from LBJ all the way to Reagan, and he worked with Democrats and Republicans. They're all the same. There's no, there's no difference. I have a whole chapter on that in there. But one key guy that's the right-hand man now of uh, Klaus Schwab, uh, if Klaus Schwab were the beast, and I'm not saying he is, uh, then this guy would be the false prophet, and that's uh, Yuval Harari, who's the one who said humans are now hackable animals. He's got some vicious quotes. I play some videos in some of my other, uh, some clips of him and some of my other videos that I've the uh, places where I've spoken. So he would be one guy that's up and coming. Uh, you've got some uh, female uh, leaders like uh, uh, Christ, uh, this, she's from Canada, Crystal Vander Elst. Uh, she talks a lot about, uh, and she's the head of strategic foresight at the World Economic Forum, uh, or was before she took this role in Canada. Uh, she talks about this convergence and transforming the way we understand ourselves and redefining what it means uh, to be human. So those would be a couple, but yeah, there's no shortage. This is, again, this is a 6,000-year-old conspiracy from the beginning of creation in Genesis. Uh, and so, I mean, 
But the fact that the relevance of their age is that, you know, they're urgent. They really, they can, they're so close they can taste it now. So somebody else. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts on the Ukrainian war and how does this play into it? I never did find you. Oh, it's right here. Okay, good. <laughs> it was just this voice. <laughs> here I am. Send me. Um, so I actually just did a video on uh, Russia, Ukraine, and the New World Order. It also in Tulsa, I spoke twice at the Mid-America Prophecy Conference. Once was on whose fingerprints are on the founding of America, and the other was Russia, Ukraine, and the New World Order. So I'd encourage you to watch that. All of our videos are, are free on our website, and also they're also available as podcasts. So if you're more of an audio guy or you want to listen while you're in the car or something, you can listen to at least the audio of it on anywhere podcasts are found. Just search for Not By Work Ministries. But the short answer is uh, it's complete setup, you know, the, the mainstream narrative of Russia bad, Ukraine good, ridiculous. And I give a lot of facts in that video about uh, uh, the Ukrainian Zelensky and his background and so forth. So a lot of similarities the way the, the Luciferians work. They love to find reality TV stars and put them in charge of countries. But anyway, anybody else? Over here? I hear many people talking about elections. Okay. We have many people thinking about what's going to happen during the elections. What I'm wondering, are we going to have an election for the simple reason we're letting all of these illegal immigrants go to every state in the union? Are these people military? Are they going to cause havoc so that these individuals will bring about military law? So we have no rights, we have no elections, and this is something when they had the Trojan horse in Rome. Are we doing those types of things yeah, because so, we're allowing this to happen? Yeah, I think, you know, it's certainly always possible that some end of the world as we know it type scenario could happen prior to November. That's always on the table. They've got all kinds of weapons in their arsenal. It just depends on whether they're ready to roll it out. There's a lot of chatter out there about another pandemic. I was just noticing on the headlines today of uh, this new variant is the worst ever and everybody's got to go get their sixth or seventh or 15th booster or whatever. Um, so uh, they've got that. They've got EMPs. They've got you know, war, there's a lot of saber rattling going on. There could be natural disasters, either real or created. Uh, so a lot could happen. It certainly is possible that there won't be elections. But remember, and again, I want to be clear, this is just my view. So by all means, you need to follow your conscience and study this yourself. But I think the whole election process is a circus freak show anyway. It's just, if we didn't learn anything from 2020, and by the way, nothing's changed. Nothing. I mean... We still have the same digital technology. So, you know, the definition of lunacy is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, right? But again, you know, at the local level, I talked to a lot of, uh, talked before a lot of freedom groups and uh, groups that are involved in local politics. Uh, our church back in Denver, we were really active in, uh, you know, supporting local candidates for like sheriff and school board and things like that. Uh, at certain levels, when you have a little bit more, uh, security of, of the ballots and the votes, it's a little bit easier. Uh, but in, in the minute it went digital, it's, it's game over. 
Uh, you just can't, you have no way to protect, if they can hack into the NSA servers, you don't think they can hack into some server somewhere that's supposedly keeping track of the votes? So I would look into that. Um, do we have time for one more? Back, maybe back here. I, I'm having trouble, I'm half deaf and I had to take one of my hearing aids out, so now I'm a quarter deaf or three quarters deaf, whatever. And then I can't see very well, so I'm hearing these voices, but I'm trying to track where the microphone is. Go ahead. So assuming this uh, human technological advances is going to keep on going and the possibility of uh, one day there's be robots that they can exist without the need for human intervention, what are we supposed to do with it? What kind of action would you suggest that yeah, that's a great question about the eventuality of transhumanism. And it's interesting, it's very interesting to me because I've followed this for a long time. In fact, I seriously considered doing my PhD studies on a soteriological issue of can clones, do clones need to be redeemed and can they be saved and all of that. Uh, that was 15 years ago. So a lot's advanced since then. I think there are a lot of interesting sort of corollaries in scripture, you know, like a lot of people have made the connection between the image of the beast in Revelation to these androids, maybe the Antichrist sets up these androids all around the globe that sort of look like him and act like him and have the same mind as him, but it's not actually him because, again, Satan can't, is not omnipresent. So I just pray for the rapture and hope we're not going to be here when all of that is rolled out. And that's why I really believe there's an urgency to the hour because I feel like it's one thing for Satan to conquer, you know, overcome marriage institution and um, just you know, language with deconstruction of language and all these other foundational things that we see in Genesis 1 through 11. But when he conquers life, it just seems like God's got to say enough's enough. Yeah. So, hey, thank you guys very much. I'll be glad to hang out at the table and, um, and talk some more. Amen. Thank you, JB. So uh, you guys are going to want to rush that table. I'm sure of that. Um, <laughs> JB will be here until midnight tonight, <laughs> and so <clears throat> wait your turn patiently. Uh, he does have a product table. There's a lot of good material out there. I've seen and read most of it. Uh, you, if you haven't, you want to pick up some of that material and take it home and do some research.